welcome to the Congo Research Group Podcast. This week, Michael Cavanaugh is back from his world travels to speak with us a little bit about the Congolese economy. Michael, welcome again. Thank you, Jason. All right. So, the I think one of the things that's really been, um, hasn't really been in the news enough, I think, is the impact that the world commodity price drop has has had and will have on the Congolese economy. And potentially, this is this I think is pretty big news. The Congo is enormously dependent on natural resources. The world commodity drop is going to affect it potentially a lot in terms of its budget, the money it can raise. It's about to head into a very expensive decentralization and electoral cycle. What do you think the impact is going to have today and tomorrow in the Congo? And we're, we're, already, we're already seeing it right now, right? I mean, the drop in the price of copper um, is having an enormous effect on miners around the world. I mean, their share prices are dropping 30, 40, 50%. It's a scary time to be a miner. They're closing down projects all over the world. Um, they are cutting debt. They're, you know, firing employees, stuff like that. This is, this is largely the, the Chinese, like, drop in Chinese demand. Yeah, exactly, right? So that you have two things going on at once, and they're related. It, it seems that the Chinese economy is, is slowing down a lot. So the Chinese economy has grown at about 7% for many, many years now, decades even, I think. Yeah, three um, decades, they say. Yeah. yeah, and now people don't trust that figure, right? People don't actually trust that that's the real growth figure for the Chinese economy and that, in fact, the, the Central Committee is kind of playing that, that figure, playing with that figure, and that it's much lower. Right. Um, you know, how, how much, it's still growing, the Chinese economy, but it's not growing at that clip, right? People are saying, I've heard everything from between, say, 2, 4, 5%, right? Um, and that has a big effect on the world economy in general, right? Because China has become a, a big country of consumers. Um, and it has a, a, a big effect because it's still the biggest producer in the world, China, in terms of manufactured sure. goods. And what that means is they're taking raw materials from the, everywhere in the ro- world for any of their products. Um, but one of the biggest places for copper, of course, uh, is, is, is uh, Congo. Mm-hmm. So the slowdown in the Chinese economy uh, has a big effect on Congo because... You know, fewer pe- people are going to want to open up mines in Congo because there's no one buying the product. And then on top of that, the miners who are already there are getting a, a lot less for their copper than they were just a few years ago. So what we saw and what was so exciting about the Chinese um, boom economic, excuse me, the, the, the Congolese boom in terms of his economy since the end of the war was that you saw this huge rise in commodity prices to all-time highs between 2004 and 2011. And it really started to slowly drop ever since then. So, you know, this, the budget, right, the Congolese budget, 14 to 20 percent, um, they want 25% of the budget actually to be funded by minerals. But now the prices of those minerals have, have dropped, you know, 40, 40% in some cases. If you're talking about copper. 40% just in the last... From their, the last, from their highs. In the last... From their highs. From the highs. So, five years, years ago. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you were seeing copper in the high 9,000s um, uh, regularly at that time. And meaning, sorry, $9,000 per ton. And now you're seeing it in the mid-5,000s per ton. Mm-hmm. Right? That is a huge effect on Congo is an expensive place to mine, right? Because the transport is so difficult because of the lack of electricity, um, and those add to costs. Um, and 
So that means that if you're getting a lot less for your copper, you're not going to open your mind. Do you think this is going to be a long-term trend? It's hard to say right now. It's, it's, it's really hard to say, but it's something that, that Congo is not entirely ready for. As you said, they have a, a lot of huge expenses coming up. And, you know, they, the one way that you deal, right, with a lower price is you just produce more. Mm. And you can't in Congo because there's not enough energy. There's not enough electricity. So they've kind of reached the point of plenitude when it comes to their copper production right now. So what are the concrete, what's the concrete impact it's had on mining companies the biggest, in Congo? The biggest thing we've seen is just in, in the last week, um, Glencore, which is the biggest publicly traded commodities uh, trader in the world, mm -hmm. has decided that they're going to shut down Katanga, uh, Katanga Mining or, or KCC, the Komodo Copper um, Corporation, which is a, a group of mines in Kowesi, mm -hmm. sort of the most famous Congolese mines. When you see pictures of those beautiful mines that have been carved out of the ground with like the big blue lake, right. which isn't really there anymore, but that's that was, you know, what happens when a mine fills up with water. Um, that's that's Katanga Mining. That's that's KCC, um, and Glencore is the biggest shareholder, and it, it's an old old mine, an old Jacobine uh, group of mines. And they're shutting it down for 18 months. They feel like the costs are too high. Um, and Glencore itself has been destroyed on, on the stock market in London and Hong Kong. And they need to cut debt. Right. And um, they've decided to shut down this mine and another mine in Zambia as well. Mm. So this is a, a scary thing for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, one is it's an important producer. It's the third largest producer of copper in Congo after Tenke Fungurume and another Glencore project called Mutanda, Mumi. Um, and, you know, the more important thing is, is really just the amount of people who rely on that mine for jobs. So it's the biggest employer, as far as I can see, after Jacobine. Mm. Um, and they have about 5,000 direct employees. They've said they're going to keep 80% of them. Mm. Um, but uh, that still means uh, several, you know, 1,000 people are going to be fired at least. And then they have subcontractors, right. right? I mean, and I've heard rest estimates of between five and eight thousand people uh, are employed indirectly um, by Katanga Mining. What's the impact on the Congress budget? Because Congress budget makes a lot of most of its money. You say that fifteen to twenty percent comes from natural resources. Right. A lot of that's taxes on profits and taxes on exports, isn't it? Right. And so if they're not exporting or as much as they would be, you'd imagine that that would have a pretty serious impact on the budget as well. Yeah, the most the most recent figures I saw show that Katanga Mining brought in about three hundred million dollars in revenue. Um, to the government in 2013, according to the Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative report, it's a lot of money, lot of money. and that's, that money is more or less off the table. And at the same time, that company has to pay its debt. So all the, most of the mining companies in Congo are, are in debt, right? It costs a lot of money to build mines, yeah. and then they over time make that money bank back, right, and become profitable. Um, Katanga Mining in particular has an enormous amount of debt, um, billions and billions of dollars of debt. And it's not clear yet if the company still, and sorry, that debt is to Glencore. It's a very weird uh, situation where Glencore has basically loaned those billion dollars to uh, the mining project. And so it's not clear if that mining project is going to have to continue to pay that debt back to Glencore during this time. Um, and it, it's a, it could be a strange thing where Glencore closes down the mine but actually keeps making money off the mine because of, of the debt payments. 
which of course are accumulating interest all that time. Mm -hmm. And if you're talking about, you know, whatever the interest rate is, which is probably say around 10% or something like that on a two, three, four billion dollar pile of debt, it's a lot of money um, that's actually, you know, accumulating going back to Glencore and, and no benefits are, are, are falling to uh, the Congolese. Um, what do you think in terms of uh, the money lost in the Congolese budget? Do you think that you're able to put a figure? I mean, I saw just uh, another weird thing, a news story from the Congo. The IMF projected relatively high growth rates in terms. That of was GDP an older. That, that's that's from a. It just came out. The IMF said that, but they were using. They were based on a. Yeah, it's a, it's post. a trip that they'd made earlier this year. It's pretty pretty misleading. Yeah, right. That's just <laughs> sort of the lag time in in terms of of, of how the IMF works. They. They had already said those same figures earlier when they actually made the trip. So, so in terms of growth, growth figures were we were talking two ten and a half percent originally right. at the beginning of the year. We've already cut that to eight um, around the, before even the commodities drop. Well, we know along with the Congolese drop, uh, the commodities drop, so it went down to nine something, eight something. I mean, you know, step back like eight percent growth, amazing. Yeah. Do I actually think it will be eight percent growth by the end of the year? No. I mean, yeah. especially if Katanga Mining has shut down its operations, you're going to be losing a whole quarter of production right. from one of your biggest um, right. mining companies, and a lot of other companies are considering the same thing. A lot of other mining companies around the world are having these problems. So, okay, let's go from that to try to understand something else that perhaps doesn't make sense at all with regards to that trend, which is um, the Chinese investments in, in Katanga. There's been a lot of activity around mining concessions, especially by Chinese companies in Katanga. You'd imagine the Congolese government would not be selling lucrative mining concessions at a moment when the commodities price is so low. They're not going to be getting the best price for that. You'd imagine they try to write it out. Why do you think they're not, you know, selling high. Instead, they're selling low, mm. if that's what's going on. And maybe together with that, is that linked to the recent trip by Joseph Kabila to, to China? There was a relatively high-profile trip he made to China. He doesn't travel abroad very much. Do you think all of this happening right now is a coincidence with the electoral calendar, or is this, uh, yeah, what do you think? I don't see how it couldn't be coincidental with the electoral calendar um, when... You talk about where money is going to come from. If it can't come from Glencore, which is, has been the place where you've been able to find money over the years, ENRC, some of the big mining companies, um, and then you know Tenge Fungurumi will be providing taxes, of, of, of course, but they're not buying any new um, properties. Um, all of a sudden, we have a bunch of, of deals that we're seeing in Katanga with different Chinese mining companies who've come in. So you have this big company called Huayo, uh, which is already a partner in the Seco Min deal, the the China, the six billion dollar China commodity, uh, China Congo contract, and they just bought, um, they just uh, and a subsidiary of, of Huayo just bought into another mine, uh, cobalt and copper mine, and then you have this big company called China Non-Ferrous Metals, which has signed a strategic partnership with Jacamin for what they call five big projects. Um, Jacob Mee doesn't really have five big projects left. I mean, they sort of have five big projects. Right. That's about it, which right. means that this company is is looking to, to, to basically kind of work with Jacob Mee to explore and potentially extract um, the remaining big uh, mining deposits that still are, are controlled by the state. Okay, to take a little step back yeah. and, and look at this historically, and this right. is something we've talked about before here on this podcast, also with your uh, your friend and colleague Lee Kaysens. If you look at previous electoral cycles, 2006, 2011, um, 
it does seem actually there's pretty good evidence on this, and even people within the presidency have talked about this, that they have used these, um, or in the run-up to these electoral cycles, there's been sale of valuable mining concessions, in part to fund the elections, and then both the official budget of the elections as well as whatever the presidency or people around the president may need in order to fund his own campaign and all the costs associated with that. And so you saw huge fire sales of assets in 2004, 2005, and again in the run-up to the 2011 elections, to the extent to which, to the extent that I thought there was almost nothing left to sell. Now, what you're saying now is leads me to believe that there was actually something left to sell, and that what Jekamine, which used to be this behemoth of a Congolese mining parastatal that owned all of the lucrative mining concessions in Katanga, has been whittled down to very few, and now even those very few may be sold perhaps in conjunction with something, you know, that's, uh, this, I mean, we should say it's a speculation, I think that bit is certainly speculation, but we know that there are very lucrative mining concessions being sold at a moment when the national and the international markets are very low, mm -hmm. at a moment when the Congolese government especially both officially needs money to fund the elections, and certainly people around them for their own unofficial needs of patronage need money for their own electoral campaigns. Is it, am, I being, am I being too conspiratorial about this? Do you think that... No, I don't think so. There's no doubt that in the lead-up to all these elections, right, not only individuals and, and companies, but, but you know, the state-owned companies themselves were all solicited by the government to make contributions to the electoral process. Yeah. Not necessarily to campaigns and not necessarily in a corrupt way. It's just like you're a state-owned mining company, you know, Soda Mico, you owe us $10 million. Um, you're, you know, they, they could go to every other, so, so chemo, they could go to any of, you know, Onatra. It doesn't really matter. They're going to say, you, you state-owned mining company, please provide this amount of money to the elections. When you're looking at a budget of between $800 million and, say, $1.2 billion for this electoral calendar, um, where they where's that money going to come from? Right. They used I don't remember the exact figure. They used several hundred dollars from reserves, for example, from the central bank reserves, um, for to fund the last elections, and they had to dip into their reserves, right. which is a dangerous thing, right? Especially when the copper price is low, you don't have a lot of cash coming in. You want to keep your reserves, right. uh, and use those reserves for for necessary things to kind of uh, smooth out the shocks. Um, but it seems to me, I mean, if, if they really were concerned about funding this electoral budget, which, as you pointed out, could be anywhere between $800 million and $1.2 billion, right. um, then the, you'd think they'd be at least dispersing what they can disperse based on the current assets with the current budget, the current money in the central bank at the moment. They're not even doing that. I mean, you, can see, you see them dispersing money to large agricultural project, projects like Bucangalonzo, which right. many people think is sort of a white elephant kind of project. And which is not a you know burning necessity and urgent need for the Congolese population right here right now, right. and yet the electoral the elections budget you know which many people consider to be fundamental for Congolese democracy. I mean we're headed into the most important Congolese elections probably ever. They've received this drip drip from the central bank. The Ministry of Finance is not giving any money to the election commission. Right. Extremely little. I mean don't you think aside even from I mean they don't even need to go to you know, international mining corporations, the Chinese government to give money for elections, they could be giving, they could at least be doing better than they are now. Right. I mean, so why do they even need to, would they even need to go to these, uh, to these sorts of arrangements to give money? I, d I think that they're going to have a lot less money coming in than they expected. A right. lot less. Mm -hmm. I think by the end of the year it could, could be pretty scary. The, uh, 
the shortfall, the deficit. And I think, I, I, you know, to, to, not to contradict what you said, sure. but I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily per se with them investing in big agricultural product, projects, right? Or, in fact, one of the best things that the Congolese uh, government could do is diversify their economy, sure. is to support uh, a, a more diverse economy, and that would allow them to weather the shock of a drop in commodity prices. They clearly haven't done that. They haven't invested in the different sector, the construction sectors, you know, the right. secondary sector, the tertiary sectors, the kind of services, the manufacturing, the, just no investment there, right? Um, no, no investment in power, almost no investment in power. Um, and so a huge deficit there that isn't going to allow the economy to grow and, uh, and deal with the, these low commodity prices and, and the, the, the huge drop in, in revenue from the mining sector. But in terms of, in terms of funding um, for the elections, in terms of, what we're, of, in terms of what we're seeing now, you know, if you need money, you're going to sell. You sell whenever you can. I mean, even mining oh, yeah. companies now, sure. when they, they need money, if you've got to pay off your debt, it doesn't matter that it's a time, you, you know, the price is low. That the price is low. You're still going to sell now. And so it's just interesting the way the way that it's happening. I mean, this particular company, CNMC, for example, I was just I was just in Lubumbashi a few weeks ago, and I drove out to the airport. This is a Chinese company. Yes, yeah, it's, it's China, uh, China Non-Ferrous Metals Group. group. Mm -hmm. And I was driving out to the airport in Lubumbashi, and there are these huge new office complexes. Great sign of, of growth, right? And Tenkyo Fungurume, the Free, Freeport McMoran uh, company, the biggest mine in Congo, um, they have a big office building there, right? And then one of the other two buildings that's been built is owned by CNMC, you know, a company that we didn't really even see in Congo a year ago. And now they have a deal with uh, what's the former Eurasian National Natural Resources uh, Corporation, ENRC, which owns the Kowesi Tailings Project, which owns the Boss Mining, which owns Frontier Mine. CNMC is going to bring in a whole bunch of money, $700 million. It's a ton of money right now. They're going to invest in the Kowesi Tailings. Huh. Um, and so they're helping out there. They met with, uh, a year ago, they met with uh, Joseph Kabila's wife, the first lady, uh, Olive Kabila, to kind of thank her for uh, the cooperation between the presidential family and, and CNMC. And now a year later, they've signed these new contracts with Jacobine. So they're obviously, look, they're, ex they're going to be expanding their footprint in Congo. Huh. So the question just is, you know, there's a lot of different Chinese companies, big ones, and their subsidiaries, we don't have a lot of access to them, to those country, uh, to those companies, and and what they're up to, and there's a lot of copper and cobalt kind of coming in and out, and, and and minerals coming in and out, and there's a lot of places where you know, money can change hands in mm. in, in those deals. Uh, again, I'm not saying that's true about the CNMC, the big CNMC deals. I'm really specifically referring to, kind of smaller, um, companies that are. That are working in, in Katanga right now at a time when a lot of other companies are, are pulling back. So bottom line about the current situation is commodity prices are dropping, the Congolese government seems to be looking for additional revenues in this time because commodity prices are dropping but also because it has needs, political needs given where it is in the electoral cycle and decentralization and in that context the Chinese government but these are private corporations or these semi-private corporations you're speaking about right. seem to be the ones stepping in to help out. To, to, to help out with the mining industry in Congo. Right. Where that money goes then, well, if you're, writing a, if you're doing a partnership with Jacobin, right? Nothing wrong with entering into a joint venture with Jacobin. It's just about where does the Jacobin money go, right? And 
there, that is the biggest black box in all of Congo, a company that clearly is, has hundreds of millions of dollars hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue in partnership revenue that they're getting from all their partners like Glencore like um, like uh, Tenke Fungurumi Mining the, the Freeport company you know there's a lot of money coming into to Jacobin through those uh, different partnerships w where's that money going? how, mon how much of it is, is staying to develop those mines of, of Jacobin and develop that company and develop the economy and how much of it is just going to end up you know, going to pay for these elections, uh, it's it's not clear. What do you think? And to me, has anybody done the done the books uh, on Jake? I mean, try to find out what's your intuition about it. We did the books. We try to find out how much money from what we know they should be making, and how much actually ends up in the treasury. What the difference might be. Originally, the IMF wanted their goal of a new mining, pro a new uh, loan program with Congo was part one of the one of the. Requirements was that Jacobin opened their books. Uh -huh. That was no go. That wasn't going to happen. So the IMF actually withdrew that request. But it didn't matter. The IMF, uh, the Congolese are no longer interested in, in a program with the IMF right now. So that's not even that's you know off the books. So the idea that we're going to get in the next year and a half kind of more transparency into the into the accounts of Jacobin is you know that's that's dream world. That's, dream world. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Michael, thanks again. I think we're going to have to leave it there. But um, actually, I forgot to introduce you. Why don't you introduce yourself at the end of the podcast, which is obviously not the best way of doing it. What's your current You were title? listening. Yeah. <laughs> you were listening to Michael Kavanaugh. You were listening to Michael Kavanaugh, who is? Uh, a Bloomberg uh, reporter um, uh, in Congo. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Michael. Yeah.